Action. Okay, so well, everyone, everyone, just hit record now. Hitting okay. record now. And Hitting I was saying, three, two, one, two, two, two. Okay, let's right. go. I know I'm a genius. <laughs> um, this is a very professional setup. Okay, uh, I will do the intro. Is film like milk? Yes, it's got culture in it, and it's mm. damn leche, <laughs> whole milk, skim milk. Medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Welcome back to Aged Like Milk, the podcast where we talk about films that have aged in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Hebert Taylor, and with me, as ever, unfortunately, can't get rid of him, is my co host, David Rogers. Hello. Still here, baby. Still here. Still here. Still clear? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm clear. Yeah, we're going to go with that. Um, And David, we have a very exciting guest joining us today. Who do we have coming on the pod? We have the director of the Baytown Outlaws, Barry Battles. Woo! I'm so excited. Hey, Barry, thanks for coming on on the show. Hi. Hi, thank you guys for having me. So I'm going to do a butchering job of the synopsis of this film, um, directed and written by Yeah, I was going to say also written by. And... Former writing partner or current writing partner, Griffin Hood? Uh, former writing partner, yes. Yeah. So still, Griffin, still best friend, former writing partner. Love that. Love that friendship has maintained. Um, okay, so Barry's movie, The Baytown Outlaws, is about three redneck as fuck brothers who are basically guns for hire and kind of get entangled with this woman who's like, I need to hire some muscle, played by the beautiful Eva Longoria. And... They come in, they, they're told she, they need to like rescue her godson from her ex-husband, who's a bad guy. Shit gets messy. There's loads of bullets. There's all these different people trying to stop them. They prevail. And then we have all these like amazing shootout scenes where they actually end up saving this guy, this little kid, Rob. Then they go to jail and then they get out. That's, that's, that's like my butchering version of the, of yeah, the synopsis. It's pretty spot on. That's how that's how I pitched it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie only came out in 2012, but actually you shared with us that next month is the 10 year anniversary of shooting it. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. We were down in Louisiana. Uh, we started filming May 2nd, which oddly enough is uh, Griffin's birthday. We started filming on his birthday and uh, and yeah, we shot in, I think, a record hot summer in the uh, in the swamp. So, yeah. yeah, I wasn't no, sure. Yeah. Everybody in the movie looks pretty sweaty. And I wasn't sure if that was like makeup, but it, it was intentional. I mean, there was, you know, we wanted it to have sort of almost like a sweat stain kind of feel to it. We wanted it to almost have smell of vision of just that stank. And uh, and so, yeah, it was a lot of it was very organic. Uh, but yes, also, you know, hair and makeup was was hosing everyone down with the glycerin. Yeah. <laughs> It's a completely stacked film. I actually have um, some of the top build cast here. So we have Clayne Crawford. We had Travis Fimmel. We had Daniel Cudmore, Thomas Brody Sangster, who I love. I think I first was introduced to him in um, Love Actually. Um, Billy Bob Thornton, the man, the myth, the legend. Eva Longoria that I mentioned before. Andre Brower from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Can't not know him as the chief. Um, <laughs> we've got Michael Rappaport. We've got Paul Wes. Wesley, yeah, and Zoe Bell and Jay LaRose, who is excellent on Righteous Gemstones, one of my favorite shows. So huge cast. Barry, tell us how, let's start with how the 
how your your career started because I want to dive into the film. Okay. Um, I mean, truthfully, the, the, the sort of the, the origin story, I guess, of, of how all this came to be was um, Griff and I had a, a little short film that was that did the film festival circuit in like 2007 and you know we we did like 40 festivals that year and and it had a great run and we went to as many of them as humanly possible we literally lived in the car that year and we sort of treated the festival circuit as our film school you know we wanted to get out there and meet other filmmakers and meet every distributor that would be nice enough to come and speak at a panel and we would, and we would invite all of them to our to our screening to get them to come to our time or give them a DVD or whatever. And uh, and they were always so gracious. We ended up the, at the end of the year with a stack of business cards six inches thick. And all the distributors would tell us, "We like, we love you guys. You guys are funny. Like, give us eighty minutes of content, and and we'll talk." And so that was enough of us to go on to be like, "Okay, it's time. It's time for us to you know for me to sell my truck, and we're going to max out credit cards, and it's time to make my mariachi, my Evil Dead, my clerks." And so, you know, again, trying to just write what you have access to. Um, and, and I thought we could pull off something that was just really like grind housing, uh, whereas like we could sort of shoot cheaply and then degrade the footage even more to make it look, you know, we cut around, you know, with missing reels of stuff that we couldn't afford to do. That was a little bit, you know, that, that, was, that was kind of happening a little bit. It was popular for a hot minute. And we thought, okay, we think we can pull this movie off. We never had any intention of Hollywood getting involved or that, that all-star cast or to getting to ever make this movie properly. It was never intended to be that. Like we had zero connections to, to Hollywood really. Um, and uh, we, we came back from one of those film festivals and we locked ourselves in, uh, in my house at the time. Griffin slept on the floor. And we uh, we wrote that script in three weeks. Now I go back and I read that draft now, and it's just like, yep, it reads like you wrote it in three weeks, <laughs> uh, not knowing at all what we were doing. Really, you know, we just were, you know, just young guys that were just really hungry, and uh, and we were just crazy enough to, you know, kind of bet on ourselves. And so, um, and that's how it came to be. Uh, we. Uh, we were writing the part specifically for Clayne Crawford. He's an Alabama guy, which is where I'm from. And, uh, and we had met, uh, we hadn't met in person, but we had a mutual friend that was nice enough to introduce us. And, uh, and on that little $200 short film, the, the night that we won our very first award, uh, it was in Augusta, Georgia at a, at a film festival. I don't even think it exists anymore, but they, uh, but, but I got a call from Clayne just to congratulate us. And he was just like, if you, if you boys ever have something for me, you let me know. And I was like, boy, man, he just told that to the wrong guy. <laughs> so we went home and, and we wrote something specifically for him. Now at the time he was, you know, he had, he had done, uh, you know, like the great, uh, the great raid and swim fan and, you know, movies like that. And so he was, you know, he had a little bit of juice and, uh, and so we wrote something specifically for him thinking that, well, if nothing else, at least maybe he'll read it. And if he likes it enough, maybe he'll, you know, we can give him like 500 bucks and a sack of potatoes and, you know, he'll come and, and just, you know, help out and play with us, you know, for a little bit. And little did we know at the time he was changing managers and within the Hollywood system. And he was, when he was taking these meetings, he was telling them like, Hey, I'm going to do this movie with these insane boys in Alabama. You can be part of it. You can not, I don't care. But uh, but that was sort of his thing. And a manager had read it. And uh, I'll never forget, I got a call right before Halloween that year. Um, and it was a, a lovely woman who 
asked if it would be okay if she uh, sent the script to uh, to a band apart, Quentin Tarantino and Lawrence Bender's company. So I hung up the phone. I was just like, that's not funny. <laughs> like, who the fuck is this? And um, and so uh, she called back and, uh, and she was legit. And she asked us to come out for two weeks worth of meetings at the uh, beginning of the year, right after Sundance that year. I was like, well, sure, why not? You know, I mean, um, you know, go ahead and send it to them. I mean, I was going to do it myself, but since you're already out there, go for it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that, and so we, we come out, I had one little bag packed and, uh, and that two weeks worth of meetings turned into 10 months of just, you know, two meetings became four, became eight, became, you know, 12. And it just sort of became very popular that year. Uh, we made uh, Franklin Leonard's blacklist uh, that year. We were a part of that. We were so honored to be part of that. And that got us read. And, um, and then Bob Title, our producer came on board. And then it was, and again, now already, we've already way over, you know, over, overshot anything we ever thought would happen with this thing, like ever. Like, you know, I thought like, you know, I'd be shooting this thing with, you know, my cousin having to play like, you know, two or three <laughs> of the parts. Um, like it, it was, you know, it was never supposed to be this thing. But, um, but once we sort of got pulled into, I guess, more of the proper, even though it was a small independent film, it was still part of, you know, I guess the, the traditional Hollywood machine. Mm-hmm. You know, we got, you know, because of Bob, you know, he had access to, you know, incredible, you know, talent and not just in front of the camera, but behind as well. And he did everything that he could to, you know, sort of protect me and to make sure that I could, you know, do the job as best as I could, considering it was my my first feature. And so that um, is so crazy. The mm-hmm. fact that this was your first feature, just the heavy hitters you got for this movie. I mean, I'm specifically talking in front of the camera. I did look at the crew list and um, this is so impressive, Barry. I know you've told this story a million times, but it's, still... <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a story that, I mean, yes, we, we have, I mean, uh, you know, when you, when you do sort of the couch tour in LA, you, you know, you do, you end up having to, you know, tell the same story. So, you know, I, I, I fortunately get to tell it, but I think the moral of the story is just do not give up, you know, yeah. just don't, um, you know, it, it's, it's a war of attrition. So, you know, just outlast the doubt, outlast the hate, outlast the people that want to see you fail, outlast your own demons that make you want to give up. But also uh, don't don't expect that you have to play by the rules, because I I know you kind of glazed over the the short story. Sorry, the short film element of your career story. But I know you personally and I always and that to be an interesting part of your story. The short film that you guys ended up making it wasn't it the you had like a very specific like object and like a sentence that had to be in this film and then well, you, guys, <laughs> you guys said fuck it we're gonna do it our way well okay so uh i guess to, to give a little bit of a backstory on that we um we had to uh, so the we we made the, the little short film that did the the festival circuit that year well one of the festivals that we screened at was the delray beach film festival just north of miami great festival and uh and the gentleman that, that ran the festival just liked us he liked our hustle he liked the fact that we were at every event you know i mean they screened 100 movies you know there so it, it's impossible for him to get to know everybody but he did take notice of us and they host a script to screen challenge uh at the time and so they invite five or, or six different directors from all over the place to come back the following year and you're supposed to shoot a uh, like a five-page film, and it's put on by the film commission there. They give you the film permits. You can shoot all over the area that you want just to promote, you know, hey, bring your film here. And uh, and so they invited uh, us to be able to, you know, be one of the, the teams to compete in that and to do that. 
so we did, and it was just going to be, you know, me and, uh, and Griffin. And we had one other friend. So it was, it was a three person team. And, uh, and they sent us the script and, uh, right before we got ready to leave to go down there and we were like, yeah, okay. Uh, can't really do that. Um, that's not going to be very good. So new plan, we'll go down there and we'll shoot, um, we'll shoot something completely different, do a little bit of like a test shoot for this crazy grindhouse idea that we've sort of got, uh, we'll get disqualified and then we'll eat some <laughs> seafood and come back home. And that was the plan. And that's what we did. We went down there and we didn't really do the script. We did homages to the script, you know, um, but we just kind of did our own thing. And, uh, and, you know, and, and we, we finished it and, you know, we turned it in and, uh, and it was one of those things where it's like, well, we never got that call that we got DQ'd or, or that we were asked to leave. And so they were screening all the movies, the, you know, the closing night at awards. And so we go to the awards show and they start screening the films and sure enough, nobody said anything to us. And they screened that first one. Oh, it was that script. They screened the second one. Oh, it was another version of that same script. And then they screen ours. And it kind of turned into a bit of a hooping and hollering type crowd. It became a little bit of a midnight movie for a hot second. And then we won. And again, that just goes to show you, like, don't follow, like everybody else followed the rules when they lost, you know? So you, you got to just go with your gut. I mean, it's, you know, instincts are everything. And so if, if you have a feeling that something is going to, you know, turn out, that's not to say don't see things through, but you know, at the same time, I mean, you know, uh, listen to yourself, you know? Because then you're not wishing, oh, I wish I would have went with that initial thought. Because look where that one decision took you, right? And, exactly. And people exactly. say that, yeah, like you said, like, just stay with it. Because you hear a lot of stories, this just doesn't happen anymore in Hollywood. People just don't make it like that. And you guys just kept grinding, made what you wanted to. And, you know, look where it brought you. You know, the, the only thing that is constant is change, especially within Hollywood. The only thing that you can count on is that what worked a year ago won't work this year and the same for next year. Mm -hmm. So I think just being, you know, just being adaptable uh, and being able to sort of forecast the, the greatest, you know, hockey player ever, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, said that he never went where the puck was. He always tried to go where the puck was going, go where the puck's headed. So, you know, try to, you know, forecast a little bit. You he know? also said you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, which Michael, Michael, Scott. Michael Scott then co-opted. <laughs> you just write right. your name under a quote and then you actually also said I, the quote. I think that's the best way to do it. Like. Right. right. <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, I, I love Barry's story and I've, <laughs> I, I know it because I know Barry and I've bought him many drinks over lunch and like, you know, <laughs> picked his brain, but I think it's, it takes real guts to do the things that we all want to do. And it's always amazing to hear when it worked out because, you know, people love to be like, I failed this time and this time. And it's like, yeah, but then you just, you just fail until you, you win. So yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, that, that's just it. It's, and, and honestly, it's so you, you remember that part of the story when, when that manager called us and wanted to send us to, you know, to take meetings and send a script to, you know, a band apart. That was my very, very first Hollywood meeting. That was my very first Hollywood meeting was with a band apart walking there. So you went with see... like the easy one first is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. The it was one like a slow I... build. Uh, no joke. I never had a panic attack until the night before that meeting. Um, <laughs> That's not and so, so I, uh, 
so we we go in and the executive was so nice to us and she asked us she was just like so how many how many meetings have you guys had on the script and we're like oh no ma'am this is our first and she was like your first this week we're like no ma'am first ever and then she immediately just put down the script and the meeting was no longer about the material or, or anything she was just she's like i just want to talk to you guys and she told us then and there, she was like, everyone that is running this town did one simple thing. They did not quit. They did not give up. Everything tried to make them at some point or another. But if you can just outlast, she was just like, you, you've got the talent. She was just like, that's, you wouldn't be in this room if you didn't. She was just like, so you can clearly do the job. Now it's just, but do you have what it takes to just not give up? And, and that has stuck with me, like every single time it has stuck with me, you know, and, and you know, you, you stay in the game long enough, you, you learn a lot along the way and you figure it out. I think my favorite Barry Battles quote, and again, I, I used to get to hang out with Barry every single day because we briefly worked at the same company um, together, which was a whole thing that we won't talk about on the podcast. But my favorite Barry Battles quote is, I don't even know if you remember saying this to me, but we were at lunch and you were talking about how people come out to LA and they're like, I'll give it a year. I'll give it a year. And you were like, man, fuck your year. Like it doesn't, you don't get to just come to this town and say, no, oh, I'll give it a year and I'll, tr and I'll try. It's like, you have to keep grinding it out. And you guys did. And you made this amazing movie. You know, I mean, and thank you for remembering that. <laughs> but it's, it's true. I mean, like, you I tell know, me, I say people, I tell people all the time, like, fuck your year. What I you mean, yeah. The, what do you think is going to happen in a year? Like, you clearly just like, wow, boy, you don't even know what you don't know. Like, mm. like the only thing that's going to happen in years, like you're finally going to get like, you know, the freeway system maybe figured out. <laughs> maybe like, one of the In terms freeways. of your career. Yeah. Like, mm, good luck and buckle up. It's going to be a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um. I love that Barry, you guys can't see, but Barry just started drinking out of a red solo cup. So I'm going to just do my booty sweat from back in denying. It's actually a Coke Zero, which is an interesting choice this late at night, but I don't care. Um, but Barry, you're a Bama boy. This is, I am. This yes, is the thing that we I know. Am. Well, I decided to introduce a segment to the podcast that David doesn't even know about. Oh. And it's a little bit of trivia about Bama. So I oh got my. some facts. And I will assign you the question. I'll, if I call on you, you can answer it. So, um, David. Oh, yeah. True or false? Academy Award winner Octavia Spencer is from Alabama. I got a 50-50 shot here. I'm going to say false. Wrong. She Fuck. is from Alabama, Alabama baby. Or Eagle, baby. <laughs> oh, she went to Auburn? Yep. Are you guys okay. super proud of her? She's incredible. Yeah, oh yeah great. oh my gosh yeah are you kidding me you're always like i don't know like australians do this thing where like if someone's australian we like have to tell you that they're australian like we claim them i'm just wondering <laughs> if bama people do that too i mean we do but it comes with just more of like a an old grizzled sort of tip of the hat you know we try to be as just old and just polite and you know demure about it as possible <laughs> okay this is another one for david david what is the capital of alabama oh Capital of Alabama. <laughs> I do not know. No idea. D Barry, no you idea. obviously know. Montgomery. 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 Okay. Alabama. It sounds like Mon it would be the capital. Montgomery. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This one's this one's for Barry. Um, what is the population of Alabama? Oh, geez. Uh oof. I don't know. Like that's a good one. Um I've only recently just become a resident again. Um 
So how many people have you seen like walking around? Just do like a random like eleven? <laughs> yeah, that's what's like the, a what's that's the like head count? Is the population eleven? No, uh, yeah. I'm gonna go. Oh, I'm gonna go four point two. So close, four point nine. Four point nine. Okay, okay. So you didn't overbid though. That's I didn't point. overbid. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's more than the population of New Zealand because if I'm not mistaken, New Zealand is three million. So there's more oh, wow. than one point nine million more people living in Alabama, which seems weird because everything i've ever seen of alabama is like pretty empty swampy type land it's not we don't have really any swamps <laughs> like me um, you're getting into like louisiana now yeah that's like, what i'm thinking of yeah. um okay uh this one's for david what animal is it a class b felony to fight in alabama to fight yeah this is a law this is a real <laughs> oh my God. law in alabama barry do you know you're laughing i think so okay i'm wondering okay that to fight all right it's a class oh. b felony if you so it's just a class b it's not like it's i don't class know what a. the difference cla- yeah. yeah that seems bad like a felony you're only doing five, you're only doing five to ten um <laughs> i'm gonna say i kind of want to say like uh an, not an arm not an armadillo but like a possum <laughs> Pick them over three. I feel like that would be a quick fight unless they have <laughs> possums in Alabama. I don't hey. know that. The correct answer is a bear. It is a class okay. B felony to fight a bear in Alabama, which is a law that still exists. All right. <laughs> Barry, you might know the answer to this one. Which part of a car was invented in Alabama? Ooh. Um, which part of a car was invented in Alabama? uh was it your beer holder no <laughs> that would be uh, so appropriate if it yeah. was it would though or your gun, it? like your gun yeah uh, i'm gonna say you know what uh i'm going to uh, i'm gonna say the uh your uh your, your rear view mirror that's a good guess the correct answer is, is the guess. windshield wipers were invented what? in Alabama. Uh, wasn't there a movie about that i don't know like the hidden figures version be- of <laughs> Because like, is how's the weather in Alabama? Is it pretty decent? Like, yeah, I mean, we throughout have, the year. Yeah, I mean, we we get a lot of rain. Okay, uh, so, we yeah. we do get a lot of rain. Um, yeah, I mean, it's good. You know, we we're humid. You know, so yeah, it's uh, that's interesting. It makes it makes perfect sense. You use your windshield wiper a lot, especially uh, in the early morning hours, any time of year. So, you just yeah. think how the U.S. was set up. You think it come something more east. Right. Would, like yeah. Somebody would have invented that. That's interesting. Nope, Bama. Yeah. I'm going to steal that one. I'm going to use that one. It's a good piece of trivia, actually. Yeah, that is. Um, all right, last question. This one will go to David. David, true or false, the American Civil War was started in Alabama. I might go 0 for 4. I'm going to say false. According to my sources, it is actually <laughs> true. Um, I just have one sentence about it, Barry. I don't know if you know about this, but the American Civil War was started in Alabama. Alabama was a huge part of the Civil War um, because the telegram that started the Civil War was sent out of Montgomery to General Beauregard from Confederate Secretary of War, Leroy Pope Walker. I'm foreign. I don't know if any of that history makes any sense to any Americans listening. 
Okay, so names. you send a telegram to tell them the war's on. Yeah. Bitch, I mean, I'm going to fuck you know. your shit up. Like, what if somebody misread that and that's how the Civil War started? Yeah. <laughs> like, there was Do a first day on the job yeah. for, te- for the... T- <laughs> but also, the poor guy at the telegraph office, like, lied to get the job he actually can't read. So yeah. he, they were like, what does it say? <laughs> a war started. Yeah, yeah. you know. He said, fuck you, bitch. Yeah. You suck. <laughs> uh, they uh, I don't know anything about like the states and stuff. So I had to look up. I always like to look up like what the states are. Cause sometimes, you know, you're driving around LA and people like proudly have the outline of their state on their car. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my take on Alabama is that it is a perfect upright triangle with a pair of testicles. Would you say that that is accurate, Barry? Why does your state that look like a little- not how I would describe <laughs> it, but you know, hey, to each his own. Why does it look like there's just like this little extra bit down the bottom that's just like- <laughs> It's like almost like a perfect rectangle, which I feel like none of the American states are ever like a perfect shape. It's, uh, I'm sure there's a good story that has to something tied into the Louisiana Purchase or something. <laughs> I don't know. But They're like, we're getting this little bit at the end also. Yeah, I know. It was just, I don't know. But I mean, you're talking about that right there is in the Gulf, uh, in the, you know, in the, the Gulf of Mexico. So I would assume it has to do something with it being like the only sort of like port you know, mm. portion of Alabama having to do that with makes sense. With trades. I don't know. Yeah. That's a that is a wild guess. Uh, so I don't <laughs> that, know. That's that's probably pretty young because you guys got some decent beaches, don't you too? Yes. Yeah, yes, I have a friend that their family goes down there now once a year. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, we've got some we got some pretty good beaches. Well, that's my Bama um, trivia, which I very much enjoyed hearing you guys struggle through that. I would have known exactly zero answers to those questions. Uh, maybe I would have guessed one of the true or false correctly, but good A for effort, David. Yeah, I fucked oh, that good up. Good job, yeah. man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you good. Listen, Wisconsin and Alabama seem like they're pretty far apart, so, you know. That they are. That they yeah. are. Yeah. I mean, not as far as, like, Alabama and Australia, but still, like, pretty, yeah. pretty decent distance. It might as well be. Might as well be. <laughs> but, so then let's talk about... This movie, it's set in Alabama, obviously, because you guys are Alabama boys and you specifically wrote this role for Clayne, who is very attractive. All Everybody in this movie was extremely attractive. I was. Yeah, you took a little pause there when you were about to say his I, name. Well, yeah, I had to look down. <laughs> I, I got, I got, I oh, got ex- a little hot and flustered. Well, that too. <laughs> but I also think him and Travis Fimmel, I think him and Travis Fimmel look pretty similar, to be honest, except Travis has these okay. like crazy blue eyes. I could tell Travis out of anywhere because that's my guy from uh from vikings mm. yeah yeah it, uh, was, play, uh, yeah it was great we we actually oddly enough while we were in post on the movie um i'd gotten a call in uh while so we ended up we we shot in slidell right outside of new orleans and to to keep the tax incentive going we also ended up just posting there so uh producers and production just put me and my editor in like a house on like you know, uh, Lake Pontchartrain. It was great. While we were down there, we get a call, and uh, and I don't remember exactly who it was. If it was Travis's reps or whoever, but they were like, "Look, they were like, uh, we hear like he's really, really good in this movie. Uh, he's up for this uh, this Viking thing. Uh, you know, is there any way that you would mind cutting together like some clips and uh, and and sharing it with them? And you know, they they really like left that in in my. Uh, you know, made that my call, you know, to their credit, they're like, you know, I didn't, wasn't, didn't have to do it, but I wanted to help them out. So mm-hmm. we had one of the assistant editors, I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, cut these, you know, scenes. We spent a little time, you know, just making, you know, some of his, some of his best stuff in the movie, I think. 
and uh, we sent it over to him and then never heard anything else about it until I'm driving down Sunset and I see his face taking over the entire <laughs> building and he was like as a Viking and I was like oh I guess that's that Viking thing like, yeah he, he, he got it he crushed that role and there's a couple characters in there that just stick out in that show and he he is by far like that the top top actor in that show he he kills it see i've yeah, never he's... seen that show but i recently became obsessed with him on this hbo max show called raised by wolves mm-hmm. which is this weird mm. post-apocalyptic like sci-fi show and it was so scary and he plays this like very fanatical like uh guy that like comes to this new planet and he's so good he's so intense um it was fun to see him as kind of like a dumb redneck basically i think they describe him as basically illiterate in this film mm-hmm. and yeah yeah, he definitely had a lot of stupid questions, which I loved. And also, I loved the actor that played Lincoln, Daniel Cudmore. Like, that's not easy to not speak for an entire movie. He oh, played he, Colossus, too, didn't yes, he? Yes, he did. Yeah. And uh, and he was also, and <laughs> he was one of the first actors that we actually offered. And Daniel turned us down. And, like, you know, Mary Venue was, was our casting director. So, I mean, you know, she cast everything. And uh, and he had just come off doing those Twilight movies where he played a big old vampire named Felix that I don't think he spoke in that movie either. And he didn't say a lot as Colossus. And he was like, I'm tired of just not being the brute, you know, silent being, brute. being a big piece of furniture. And so we went <laughs> all the way around the world uh, in terms of like trying to cast that role. And uh, and it finally we were like, you know, it was getting sort of, you know, down to crunch time. And we were like, you know, we were like, can we just go back and like, you know, revisit like with Daniel again? Like, is there any way that we can do that? And she was like, I'll see. And then she was like, he just doesn't want to, you know, he's not want us audition just to go be, you know, basically breathing furniture. And we were like, no, like, you know, there's a whole backstory to why he can't talk. Like, this is, you know, like, it's an offer. Like, we want him to do it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he ended up meeting with me. And, uh, and he is, to this day, just a great friend. And I mean, awesome. he's somebody that, that we've stayed close with and he, he is such, he's such a great guy. Um, and he was, he was great in that. Like he, he really was able to, you know, give a lot with, without any words. And, uh, and, you know, and he's just, he's, he's a presence and, uh, totally. and you're right. That's tough to pull off. Yeah. But I love that guy. I loved his performance. I think, yeah. I mean, it, it's honestly like so difficult to act without, words because so much of what he was doing was physical and facial and yeah I loved it and obviously loved Michael Rappaport he had this like amazing kind of cameo (laughs) and then I was watching the credits all the way through and like you guys just kept some of the footage in the back there because obviously he's just so funny and it's like (laughs) he only played like kind of a small part so you're like we got to use this footage of michael somehow oh it was great <laughs> and what was what was so phenomenal about that is because of the way that sort of the, the time crunch had to work is art department basically just built a, a cooler set right outside the bar so instead of having to do you know a whole move and and get to a cooler somewhere to shoot we then literally just once we were done filming inside we just ran outside and we just you know uh Dave McFarland, um, my uh, uh, my cinematographer, um, director of photography, he he just had two cameras rolling on him, and we just we just ran, you know, forever. And Michael was just in there, be like, "What? What should I say, Barry? Like, what should I say?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Uh, like, there's something about you got a brother, and he ain't happy." And he was like, "Okay, I like that. I like that." And then he would just, he would just go, <laughs> and it was it was hilarious. Like, you just like that guy is just genius. <laughs> you gotta pay to play. 
exactly like all play. that stuff that was women like that you got to pay to play and yeah. like yeah that that and then Zane's like my brother was here y'all will be talking like that we'll be talking that bullshit <laughs> <laughs> yeah like Rappaport was hilarious and uh and he and my brother's name is chuck and so you know chuck battles that was he was just like oh the chucky b gonna be in the life. <laughs> so there's nice little tips of that you know to the family but yeah That's michael cool. was he was so good that's awesome. No, I mean, every acting performance in this was amazing. Thomas, you know, playing someone with a disability also doesn't really speak. Very talented actor. Mm-hmm. Love him so much. How did he get involved with the film? It was it was no easy task because this was actually his first U.S. film. So oh, we had damn. to go through the whole visa process and it was everything was having to be expedited. And I think the financier ended up like having to go to like the governor or something like it was it was a process, um, but he was he was so great. I mean, we all know him, and we all fell in love with him as the cute kid from Love Actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then he know, did he did Maze Runner as well, yeah, which is a huge surprise. Yes, like, I, like I, all that was post you know us. Like he's gone on yeah. Maze Runner, Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, Game of Thrones. Like yeah, I mean he's he's killing it. Um, he's Barry's that the, Barry's that guy that found everyone just before they were like so <laughs> famous, and he's like yeah. You know, Call hey, me, guys. I, I, you know, I, I would love to take all that credit, but I can't. <laughs> uh, we had just phenomenal people. Um, you know, yeah, Mary Venue casting and Lindsey Graham, like they were, oh, they were so great. I mean, you talk about just absolute incredible at what they do. Uh, but Thomas was was wonderful. You know, we sent him the script, gave him the part, but then, uh, you know, we were we were basing him off of, off of a very real person. Mm. And, uh, and Thomas had a, a personal connection to someone not too dissimilar from the condition of Rob. And so there was a lot of things that were sort of hitting home. And I remember when he, when he finally landed while we were, you know, in prep and, and there was a little bit of rehearsal time for him. Uh, like the most important thing for him was I just wanted, you know, like to, I wanted to get him his chair as soon as we possibly could. You know, because it was a very specialized, you know, sort of chair that someone in that condition would would have to have, you know, uh, you know, even even though it's, you know, not like, you know, he has any autonomy with it, but it was it was just one of those things and we would and then we would just go for walks and I would just, you know, and we would I would just talk to him and let him just sort of, you know, get in that skin, get in that headspace and that's how we would spend our rehearsal time is you know and that and and then we would go back to the hotel and and we would watch you know videos uh you know that would you know be about the particular person that that sort of inspired that character and uh and he and he just got it and he just got it and it was it was a beautiful thing to just you know sort of watch but he is the coolest cat oh yeah. man i do that's like it was like hanging out with like a 19 year old james bond at the time. Like, <laughs> awesome. i'm just like dude like, yeah, he, he you a, where'd smooth. you get a martini we're in the middle of the swamp in new orleans like you got a martini and a cigar what is that uh is that normal would you say for like projects you've worked on heard about where a director would take the time to to put that work in with one of his actors like I, I just I mean, think that's it, really cool that you took him on walks and it, it you had just those it would just vary. Like I mean, honestly, like you know, it really comes down to the people that are obviously over me, and then their their support of what what I feel is important, how I need to allocate my time. Hmm. If it means you know, hey, can I move this 
you know, the, 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 the time where I'm either I have to go pull away and I have to go and approve a table full of guns and I'll just go do that in the middle of the night and tell you which ones I want. And I'll just, instead of everyone having to be there, I'll just take pictures and I'll text them to you and I'll go do that at 2 a.m. while everybody else is in bed, but I can then have this time, you know, with the actor, then they were always willing to kind of work with me. You know, they were always like, I, I let them know guys, like, I understand, like, there's so much that, that is required of me. Like, I'm going to be pulled in a million different directions. I fully understand that. But there are a few things that I feel that to be most successful at this job, I have to have. And, uh, and if there's any way possible, let's please make that happen. And if there's not, I understand. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, you know, cry, cry over it. But, you know, and so having just a little bit of time, like with the actors, especially, you know, in that particular case, because we were having to dial into something really, really specific mm -hmm. that had to be right. Because the one thing that I wasn't going to have was any sort of a, like a caricature of somebody. That and really I, I'm glad you, ability. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, David and I were, you know, the topic of this podcast is aged like milk. And we always sort of highlight things that, you know, maybe didn't age well over time. And I wanted to talk about Thomas's portrayal because I think he did a really good job about, and especially like knowing that he had the personal connection. I think he did an amazing homage to someone who is in that condition. I don't know if there are actors out there right now who can act, you know, we're all about like inclusivity and like actual representation. I think Thomas, again, like just did such an amazing job of representing that with like honoring it essentially. But I did want to bring up one of the characters and I think it's mostly McQueen Udi, which is played by Travis Fimmel. He makes a lot of comments about mm -hmm. disabled people. And I think you guys did a really good job of his old brother, Brick, who's kind of the, the leader of the, of the movie, you know, sort of schooling him. And also because he has a brother who can't speak. And then we come to find out that there was also a brother with a similar condition who the father figure who we also never meet, but we get the sense that he was a bad, bad man, yeah, that he abusive. was very abusive to this, this uh, like this unnamed, he's an unnamed brother, right? He doesn't even have a name to this person with this condition. So do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the representation there and how you could handle that topic in the film? Yeah. I mean, the thing that we were, I mean, for it to be a, you know, a, a bang, bang, shoot them up, you know, grindhouse movie, the thing that we never wanted to do was be, you know, unauthentic when it comes to certain things like that. The other thing that was, you know, like you, you speak about McQueen's character uh, played by Travis is that he is as ignorant as the day is long. Now, ignorance is completely different from just stupidity. Mm -hmm. Ignorance is lack of information, lack of exposure, having a very narrow point of view because he is a, an absolute embodiment of being a product of his environment, mm. which is somebody that doesn't care about, you know, anything other than what they want to care about. What's in their immediate sphere. What's in their immediate sphere, exactly. And, um, and, and Brick is not too far from that, but he's a little older, a little wiser, and because he's got a little bit more memory of something, he is impacted a little bit more differently. So the whole idea behind these guys is that these are just ignorant, just vile, violent people that end up literally going on a physical journey, 
mm-hmm. getting them out of Alabama because they're hired to go be that hired gun for them. And they go on this road trip. And along the way, they have experiences, they have encounters, they have things to where now their physical journey is now starting to become their internal journey. And they are now opening things up. And of course, Rob is the perfect conduit for that. You know, the character of Rob, because you're right, like McQueen just has a real, like, you know, just sort of a nasty review. And one of my favorite moments in the movie, and Clay delivers it so perfectly, is McQueen makes a little joke. And he was just like, say that again, I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Like, to his own brother. Yeah. Where it's just like, and, and you believe him yeah. <laughs> in yeah. that moment of just like, that's a line. I just killed 23 dudes. Right. That's a line that we're not going to cross yeah. because there's things that you don't know. Now, obviously we're this, this very typical type of guy that I've known my whole life that you just don't talk about things mm-hmm. like, you know, sharing emotion, whatever you just, you just swallow it and you stuff it down and deep inside you until it manifests itself as colon cancer. You just don't talk oh, about God. anything. Right. And well, I think we're, we were all like a lot of people in my neck of the woods were, were raised in that point. But I think to answer, to get to that, that point is that, you know, McQueen's journey and then, and then like my favorite moment in the movie is the one where he, he starts really connecting more with Rob and it's right before the whole thing. And then it's like, well, you know, and truth be told, the way it was supposed to end is that these vile guys go on a journey, they learn something, they do one good deed with their life. And they were supposed to get Butch and Sundanced. Like, I mm. wanted to kill the Udi brothers. Oh. Like, they were supposed to just go out in a blaze of glory protecting mm-hmm. the kid. Yeah. But obviously that I liked the happen. redemption. Spoiler alert, they go to jail and they get out. And Eva Longoria's character buys him a sick-ass truck and, you know, tells him to come find her. Get some more work. But I, I, I did like how you're saying, because if, if you just take some of these lines, just the face value of it and mm-hmm. you're going to think like especially today right oh that's that's kind of messed up that's fucked mm-hmm. up they set, talk like this or reference this person but you see that moment um with mcqueen in like you, i think you might have been talking about the gas station scene where he's trying to like cool them out a little bit and they when they're getting ready for that battle with like uh like the native american crew and he's like it's not just three of us you know and he points to points to rob yeah, like, because he says there's the two head. of them because um yeah lincoln's like, no, like three busted up. yeah yeah and then at the end he's he like whispers at him he's like you're one of us mm-hmm. you know he's like yeah so he stops um, seeing him as like the disabled guy and right. he's just yeah. one he's just one of the guys one of their guys mm-hmm. yeah and it's right. like and i bear i kind of grew up the same way it's you can talk a certain way but on the surface but like underneath that's still like your boy right Mm -hmm. and that's still like your guy like anybody else calls him that Mm -hmm. then it's you know you're right Right. or die and you're you're gonna mess that person up but like to in between you and that other person you can talk however you want but somebody else steps out of line you know it's like hey no you can't Mm -hmm. talk to them like that so yeah i did there's some there's like some sweet moments with some of the actors and how they reference that and barry you brought up something that i think relates to another part of the film that i was going to ask you about because obviously like i'm an immigrant and there's a little bit of talk about immigrants and especially i don't know if this is a regional thing or an american thing i mean i live in california and there's certainly you know racism towards people from mexico and specifically you know illegal immigrants and there's a point in the film in the beginning they make some sort of racist comment about these Mexican people that they see. Mm-hmm. And then later down the road, there's actually this tr- this uh, van of, of Mexican p- workers who pick them up and help them. And the girl mm-hmm. in the back is a nurse. 
And he says, why aren't you a nurse? And she says, they don't take too kindly to illegals. And he is so stupid. He's like, well, why don't you just go and get legal? And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like it's just pure. And she even says, I think the character says it, you're so ignorant. And I've had that conversation with Americans where, you know, I'm talking about my green card process and how stressful it is. And they, you just have no, if you've never been through mm -hmm. it, you have no idea. So, and I mean, and, and that's, that's exactly it. I mean, that was honestly supposed to be sort of the moral fiber of the movie was that it's about, you know, really ignorance is, you know, if you are guided by your ignorance, like there's, there's fault in that. But if you don't even know what you don't know, like, how can you expect somebody to, to have this wisdom, this insight, this discernment? Mm -hmm. And, and so it was about these guys getting like a lot of what they believe to be truths, getting sort of like thrown into a situation where it's like, huh, maybe it's not exactly the way that I always have been told. Maybe it's not the way that has been ingrained in me for two generations, mm. you know, and I would like to think that if there ever was, you know, if we were to see them now, you know, or, or after the movie, you know, after the events of the movie, they would look nothing like they looked, you know, in the beginning. They would have a completely different point of view because they, it wasn't just theoretical what was happening. They didn't turn on the TV and see like, oh, wow, these actions are taking place. Let me view that and learn and change. Nope. It was directly affecting them in their own lives. Mm -hmm. So it was about sort of where that ignorance is, is sort of impacted. It was about that moment of, of when it is met with wait a minute this is well i thought this would be different i thought you would be different wait shouldn't it be different mm -hmm. yeah. and it's like oh it's not oh i don't even know anything about that like their assumptions and then seeing it in real life meet somebody yep. from a certain community and that changes your whole worldview because you're yep. you know like their dad was a piece of shit Yep. <laughs> you know, oh, a thousand percent. Like, that was imagine then, the worst piece of shit. Yeah, you can. That, think that of. was interesting though, work. because their dad is like supposed to be in the KKK, and then the person who ends up taking care of them and sort of helping them, even he's though he's kind of doing them dirty by sending them to kill murderers, which is kind of shit. Um, is yeah, is Andre Bauer who plays Millard, who's the the county sheriff or the area's you know mm -hmm. lead law enforcement guy, and he's black, so. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. And that was something David and I talked about before we um, jumped on. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it was not so much about the, the race that, that Sheriff Millard was, but it was more about his position within the community. Mm -hmm. It was about his position of power and how he could go about keeping his numbers the way that he wanted to. It was uh, those Udi boys. He was giving them something. He was giving them a purpose. He was giving them mm -hmm. something. I mean, ultimately, again, you know, power ultimately will corrupt. It will, whether it was on a small scale or a large scale. So ultimately he became a victim of his own sort of success. Like he got these guys, like they were good at what they did, you know, and he could, you know, put them on, you know, what he could basically like clean up the dirty work, mm -hmm. you know, he'd put them in there, take out the trash, let's trash, take out the trash. And then ultimately it, it came to a head, you know, and then he, he ends up, you know, getting investigated for it. And that's of course that whole story. But yeah, we never find out. We never find out. We only see the Udi brothers coming out of jail. We never see what happened to the corrupt sheriff. I assume he also went to jail and probably, yeah, I'm, it was, I'm sure it was a slap on the wrist. 
Like I he'd probably what they can prove. Protect yeah, exactly. Own. What can you yeah. prove? Like, I mean, you can get enough to basically say we did this whole thing. And that was the whole that was again Paul Wesley's, you know, sort of character arc, which is, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. He gets and moved down right, to you the did a, you did a great <laughs> job. And I don't know if you, you noticed the uh the the part at the very end, but that was also from Righteous Gemstones, James Dumont. Yes, I love the guy him. that came I <laughs> I know so, now they get to play together and be in uh, Jesse Jemstone's exactly. crew. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I did want to ask about the female assassins. Um, there is a pot. I was like, oh, here we go. This is the gratuitous nudity shot. And it's literally, you've got, no, it's not really gratuitous, but it's like, she's the, she's this madam and she, you see her bum. It was a beautiful bum. And then you've great got this like, strong great group pot. of women who are, let's talk about the element of those assassins because i wished there was like more of them to be honest with i you. i would love to do just a standalone movie with them i think you should um like they were they were fantastic it was it was one of those things where you know very early on in the process i fought very hard to not have any nudity in this movie mm. like they wanted there were you know when other people were sort of involved very early on this isn't the producers that ended up doing the film at all but there were other, you know, sort of creatives that were kind of, you know, um, trying to get us to put a lot of gratuitous nudity in it. The instead of a bar, there's oh, they got to put them in a strip club and all this. I was impressed you know, that I, I and, feel like a lot of movies lean into that where they're like, yep. no, we're in the strip club. Yep. And you're like, why? And I was like, exactly. I I did everything that I could to keep it from, you know, going in that direction. And uh, and so, you know, I mean, I I didn't. And I thought the butt was, you know, a good a good use good of the butt. Yeah, it, it showed was a good way. And and, it, and again, it established what was going on. Yeah. It established the environment. It definitely led you into the scene. Um, but I don't think that it was, you know, any it wasn't gratuitous uh, in that way. And uh, but the <laughs> oddly enough, that those roles it was originally just supposed to be, you know, some 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 basically like some stunt performers like it isn't was, zoe is a stunt she's a well, stunt she, coordinator she, yeah. she was but she was already yeah, she, transitioning from uh you know, doing stunts into acting at this point mm -hmm. so but it was really just like it was a much smaller thing but again through through casting and then you know the the process of putting the film together uh we started getting some really fantastic you know actresses that were coming in and uh and we're seeing about the roles and and I mean, it just, it was a, it was an embarrassment of riches to be able mm -hmm. to put that ensemble together. And uh, I wanted to, you know, like I said, I would, God, I would love to just do a movie about their story, like how they all came together. You should, from their you should do like a prequel. Thing, and then, you know, their whole bit, mm. but, uh, cause they, they were fantastic. They were fantastic. And I, uh, I thought, I thought they like honestly stole the show for the parts that they were on the screen. Like I, I, I agree with that. I mean, it, and those were some, those are some some powerful performers mm -hmm. like i mean and and it was like i mean uh they were they were one of the only sections of the film where we just let you know we we just slowed everything down and was just like let's just let them <laughs> let them do their thing because it also it works for the characters of the udi brothers because they're also sort of getting you know kind of lulled in by the sirens yeah and uh there's one and, bot where yeah. 
I think it's McQueen. He goes, okay, let's dance. And he pulls a chair over and like sits down as if he's going to get a lap dance. And then the girl's like, no. And she like pulls him up to him. And then, yeah, the seduction. And then he starts was... like shaking. She's like, no, not like that either. Yeah. yeah. He's again, he's, he's dumb. He's, he's a yeah. dumb guy. Like yeah. that yeah, his, character his is attempt just... at hitting on a woman is just like walking up to her and like basically grabbing at her and being like, let's do this. He's like yes. a Neanderthal. Because we, we, again, and I think we've probably all known people that are like this, that are able to get by on, on their good looks mm-hmm. on just like, well, you know, you always say like, wow, like, yes, you were dumb as a pile of bricks, but you're lucky you're good looking. <laughs> and, uh, and he's the embodiment of that or that character is just like, yeah. you, yep, you are, you are a gorgeous, greasy mess, but you so are, greasy. You, know, you are dumb as Take a brick. A shower. Take a shower before any kind of kissing mm-hmm. and situation goes down. Yeah. Um, I mean, the stunt work in that scene was particularly amazing, but throughout the film, I was going to ask how many squibs you had, if you knew, and if how many guns you, you had, because it was a lot of guns and it was a lot of bullets. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. It's called Baytown Outlaws. What else did you yeah, expect? Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it, it was, it was quite a lot. Um, I'm not sure the exact number. I just remember that when it came to, we, we had this fantastic armorer and, uh, and he had things that just were like out of a, out of a Rambo dream. Like, I mean, it was just weapons galore. I don't think you I know. saw the same gun twice. I, like all the same. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Like, I'm like crazy. what is this gun? This like Tommy gun looking thing. What is this gun? <laughs> this is a different kind of shotgun. It was wild. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was guns galore. It was guns galore. But I was like, if we're going to have a, a bang, bang, shoot them up, let's have a bang, bang, shoot them up. Like, let's yeah. do this. So I, I got a couple questions on that. So <clears throat> a couple scenes that I, I really liked and I wanted to see kind of how you shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the car chase shootout, like, how did you put that whole thing together? <laughs> yeah. Cause that just, that was gnarly. some Mad Max shit. They had this like, big black truck and there's a guy in the top in the bird's nest it was when i saw it come out it comes out of this like shed and you're just like what the fuck is happening here <laughs> i mean well, thank you that's good that's the appropriate response so we're shooting for is like hey what the fuck kind of people thing. are like rappelling down into it they're like crewing up you're like where are they going oh shit so uh my stunt coordinator uh is a is a filmmaker now himself but i was very fortunate enough to get lynn oding uh on Mm. this movie and he did such an incredible job like he i mean um because he's also a director he was able to sort of pre-vis out things for me you know we would talk about it and he would go you know shoot the realistic way of doing it and so everything was very very well planned out um but he was able within his department to bring on just some of the best guys and the best drivers and you know we just had um we just had people that were really uh you know wanting to to do a good job and like they were they were they really cared and we just had you know fearless performers you know with so much gunfire and just so much especially like with the car stuff Mm -hmm. uh it was uh you know it was it was a tough shoot we 
one of the guys uh, that's in the truck, uh, one of the the mercs that's in the truck is actually uh, the financier of the movie. No way. Uh, nice. He wanted he wanted to be in the movie, and this was one of the parts that was just like, you got it. And uh, <laughs> and so he is actually in the movie, like you know, as as one of those dudes. And so yeah, I mean, we had you know, it was it was a lot. I think we were filming that on a stretch of closed road in Louisiana. And I want to say it was a, that that was one of the days where it was record heat. And mm. I mean, we were just we were baking on that blacktop. Um, I loved there's tough. a part where they drive past they blow past these two cops and the guy like puts on the siren for a second and the older cop turns it off and he goes, nope, not today. Nope, nope, no, Hell indeed. No. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all. But then they got killed anyway. I saw yeah, their dead bodies. Anyway. Like, Again, bullshit. Like, <laughs> you're gonna get killed in this movie whether you do good, whether you do bad. You're just probably gonna die. And just you're in start this movie. running into the swamp or something. Yeah. Like, you yeah, know, there, there's run. no escape. Just get out. Um, I also thought it was great the uh, um, when he did like this, and they're like, top oh, yeah. rope. Yep, because he's a like, former wrestler, you know, right? Got to got to rely on the old wrestling moves. Yeah, so, and that was like they knew he was about to basically go into like, that was his Wolverine <laughs> Berserker sort of mode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That scene was that scene was super impressive. I mean, just from the sheer number of people that were in it, just from the camera angles, there were a lot of technically difficult. You didn't really have many scenes except for like the car scenes where the Udi brothers were driving with Rob, and I mm-hmm. guess like maybe the gas station and here and there. A lot of these scenes were there were a lot of people on camera yeah it so was I, these were these were it was it was jam-packed and and we shot this thing in 23 days damn oh, wow. like, that was it Quick. Like, we only yeah i mean it was it was you talk about run and gun um you know it, again it, you know plan as best as you can prepare as much as you can uh and then also be prepared for everything to go to hell in a handbasket and then you've got to adapt on the fly you know that's as much as thing and Billy Bob actually gave me the best uh, advice on directing that I've ever been given. And it is held true to this day. Uh, before we ever started the movie, he was so great to uh, it had me over to his house and we would, you know, we would talk and we'd visit and he really kind of mentored me a little bit. And he always just was like, know what you want, know how to get it, know when you got it, move on. It was like, literally, you know, it's that you have to be that direct with it. But it all starts with you got to know what you want, mm-hmm. you know. That's great then advice. You got to know how to get it. <laughs> know when you got it. I think I would be so intimidated Go. to see Billy Bob in real life. He's just such a legend in acting. And in this movie, he's very intimidating, but he's also so funny. Like I giggled so many times. Like he's in his house and he's like trying the drugs. And then there's this girl and he's like, did your mother tell you that you're fucking beautiful? And then he, he's like, why isn't she naked? I just giggled. I was like, he's he, just such a silly character. Like so scary, great. but so funny. That was his whole thing. He was one of those, you know, sort of manic, you know, type people. With uh, his soul patch on his chin. Yeah, dirty he soul was patch. So, saver. He, he was such a, mm-hmm. he was so fun. Like he was so fun to work with, uh, but also, you know, very intimidating. Um, but the, the worst, the word, the dirtiest trick that I've ever had played on me was, uh, was the first time that I met Billy Bob. Um, my producer, Bob title, we were trying to get him to read the script, do the movie. Bob had just done the movie faster with Billy Bob and the rock. And so, uh, you know, they were trying to find something else to do together. 
and Bob was telling him like, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this movie with these, these boys from your, your neck of the woods. Like, come on, like, you got to read it. You got to read it. And, uh, and Billy Bob was just like, don't, don't make me do this. Like, don't make me, don't ask me to do this. So what we had done is we shot a, a short, we shot basically like the opening scene of the movie. And it was a five minute short that I'd cut. We shot that here in Alabama. I'd cut it together. And, uh, and, and so Bob was just like, well, just, just watch this, just take five minutes. Just watch this. If you don't want to read the script, like just at least watch this. And so Billy did. And, uh, and he had called and was just like, you know, like have like bring, bring the guys over to the house, bring the guys over to the house. So we go up, you know, we drive to Beverly Hills, we get out and, uh, and Billy Bob, you know, we get to the gate buzz and sure enough that was his voice he was just like yeah come on up so we we walk up to the front door and we're standing there and bob is you know if, if anybody out there in the movie universe knows bob title he is the the most chill person ever like he is just the coolest he's a chicago guy like he's just so chill he's the best and um and uh and he looked at me and he was just like you you nervous and i was just like yeah it's like our our entire future kind of hangs in the balance of how well this goes or not he was like you'll be fine and then the doorknob starts to to turn and it's about to open. And right before it cracks, Bob goes, just don't look him in the eye. And uh, and then Billy Bob <laughs> opens the door while I am just fucking like stone faced. And I'm like, that is so dirty to do that. <laughs> yeah, the, and Billy Bob was just like, did I miss something? I'm just like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to look you in the eye, apparently. And uh, That was a good way to cover it. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was... Uh, it's a good icebreaker if you're just like, like processing for a second instead of being like shit it's billy bob thornton he's a legend it, you know it was it was one of those things where he was so gracious um and just welcoming and and he he connected to us and he believed in us you know he was one of those people that and i think in one of the epks he was just like you know he's like when you see someone that you know you know has got it um you know you you can only imagine where they'll be, where they're going to be in in 10 years and uh and hey, Billy Bob, I'm right here with these guys. <laughs> Celebrating the, almost the 10-year anniversary of starting the shoot with yeah, us over here at Age Like Milk Podcast. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, he, he was he was so phenomenal. Like, he was great. Was yeah. Awesome. I mean, you just had, like, such a stacked cast. Again, like, Eva Longoria is such a queen. And she does such a good job in this movie. She doesn't actually have too many scenes with everybody. She has, like, the opening. And then mm -hmm. she's kind of on the phone and... Yeah, she did them dirty by not telling them that Rob was um, in a wheelchair. That was something she was tricky. She was like, go save my godson. And then we've got Travis Spimmel's character, McQueen, asking all these questions. And he's like, what if there's like a bunch of babies? And he's like, well, I'm going to tell them which one I want. And then they show I thought up. that was hilarious. There's yeah. going to be one named Rob. I'm going to say Rob. And that's the one we're going <laughs> to That's the one we're going to take. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love. I do yeah. love that performance. It was yeah. also very convenient that he had his pajamas on that had his name on the on the right. pocket, just in case yeah. you were. Confused. Just in case. Just so in case McQueen was right to be concerned, but then the answer was right there. So. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of things that sort of went wrong in that whole like smash and grab. You know, they they didn't kill Carlos. They did end up killing. They a didn't maid. kill Carlos. I'm like, you didn't think like, to check real quick. You know, well, they did. They they were under heavy gunfire at the time. That's true. So. That's true. And, and also, they had busted their heads wide open, so <laughs> they were. You know, they He's were a little, the they were a little foggy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like how he was, McQueen's character is like, they go to, they're doing the smash and grab in Texas. And he's like, dude, look, the stadium from Friday Night Lights, we got to go. And the brother's like, no, we're not going there. 
fuck you. Pamphlet or yeah. whatever. Again, like McQueen is a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is Listen, a child. I'd be excited to go to that stadium. Not gonna lie. Right? Like yeah. it wouldn't be. Like, so, how did you shoot that scene where he slams through in the car with the with the helmet ooh, and the mouth guard? That right there. That was first off. We had to to find a house that was that was right for for Carlos, uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character, and mm-hmm. then we had to. Make it okay that that they would let us build basically a false portion of the house onto the existing house and then drive a car through (laughs) all of that chaos and uh and demolish everything that's awesome we basically had one morning to pull it off (laughs) like that was and you did and we did um i'm sure it was stressful at the time but it it translated to the screen it was the it was the efforts of, of really great people that you know were again, you know eighty percent of good directing is, uh, is 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 hiring, you know mm-hmm. making sure that you've got the right people in the right position to succeed, um, you know if if they can't do their job as and I'm not supporting them in the ways that they need to be supported, then ultimately what I'm trying to do doesn't matter, you mm-hmm. know because. Again, you can you can be as robust up top as you want, but if you've got a bum leg, you're only as strong as your weakest leg. So, love you know, that. love that attitude from a director because I think I think I know a good directors. Some I haven't been on a set where there's like an ego involved, but yeah, I mean, if the set sucks or if the mm-hmm. stunt people aren't being safe, you can be the best auteur in the world. Your movie is yep. going to crash and burn. And I mean, that's the whole thing is that you you've got to realize that you know you you ultimately whoever's in the director chair like they are ultimately responsible to to just put people in a position to succeed you know whether that be Set them up their for camera success. Mm-hmm. Own, exactly you you have to do that you have to be you know equal parts you know motivator you know jedi like you know general like all these things um in order to 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 get the machine and and believe me it will completely go off the rails there were things that happened on that shoot that were like I literally was like I have no idea how to like like pull this nosedive out any that you're allowed to share with us on the air I don't I (laughs) I probably shouldn't keep them close we'll say I will just say the 20th year in one of those moments I grabbed my first AD and I was just like Mike how the fuck like how quickly can we get lunch like how quickly can we break for lunch because we've got to like you know get we, we've got to like relieve some of this tension mm. and it was just one of those like i mean again like sh- shit is going to happen especially when you've got this many moving parts and you're trying to do this something this ambitious on you know such little time you mm. know and then you're having to juggle you know schedules and it's like you know and things are just gonna you know th- things are going to happen like that 23, is, that is a 23 days is not a long time when you're talking about making a movie of this length and caliber and with all these people whose schedules are incredibly busy uh, I think oh i mean and i mean a lot of the stuff like the way that billy bob like the, the fact that he's in the scenes the way he is the way that eve is the way i mean it's just it, it a lot of it has to do with the fact that we just can only get these people for shorts amount of time we had to we had to you know we had to shoot them out like they had to go you know just because you know, i mean again they're big stars like they had to mm-hmm. go do things and so it was um so i'm just so thankful that we got them you know for you know for for the amount of time that we did Totally. I had a question about the film for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, is there anything that you would do differently if you were to make this film now in 2021 instead of 2011? I, w- I don't think I'd make this film. 
now. No. Like, Why? I, I mean, I, I just, <sighs> at that time, I mean, that was a story, like that, that whole story was born out of the fact that, that I went to see Smoke and Aces uh, in January of 2007, I guess, the year that it came out. Because when I saw that trailer, I was like, this is going to be the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> All of these lively assassins may the best hitman win. What? Like, <laughs> it, it's, it's like that old Western, you know, bring me the head of whatever it was. And I was just like, this is going to be incredible. And we go and we see this movie and then it gets into this whole, you know, this, this B story about Primo Sparaza or whatever. And I just, we walked out of that movie and I was just thinking, I was like, you know, I was like, you know, the best thing, the, the best part of that movie, it was, it was those, those, those redneck brothers. And I'm just like, but I was like, that was their version. And I'm like, we kind of know dudes or we've known of guys that, that sort of have that that kind of, you know, grit in their gut, you know, type, mm. you know, guys where they're just all machismo and just ain't, ain't got a lick of sense in their head. Like, you know, and I don't know that that story has necessarily been told with a really authentic kind of Southern sort of voice that, you know, doesn't end up becoming some sort of foghorn leghorn type thing, mm. you know, at least not in this kind of, in like a fun rock'em sock'em, you know, type movie. And that's, that's the reason it was born. It was because it was just like, let me try to do something that feels a little grindhousey. That's like, you know, it's sort of my own little subgenre. I like to affectionately call Southern muscle. Like, you know, like these good looking guys, you know, they got the muscles on top of the muscles, but just, you know, again, not a lick of sense. And, and let's put them in an environment and let's have them be so narrow-minded and so closed off and then they're thrown into a situation where they're forced to sort of grow. And then, and the trick would be, let's have you hate them in the beginning, but then you're actually cheering for them in the end because of what they do. And I'm like, if I could pull that off, then that to me would be success. And you don't, you and don't think that movie would be. I just, I, well, well, that's now? the thing. I, I don't know that it would make sense for me to do it. Hmm. I don't know that it would make sense for, for me to do it at all. Um, in terms of like what would I do differently would I make this movie now I think that the me that's 10 years older like I've I've gone through so many other things in life I've I don't know that that's a story that I feel the need to tell like you know that's not something that that I you know I, I'm, I'm a different person it's a different world like I don't know that like grindhousey kind of movies are are something that people want to you know necessarily get behind it was supposed to be the, the movie wasn't supposed to even be as as big as as it ended up being like it was kind of like it was supposed to sort of be just this you know very small like indie you know type thing and then we ended up getting a lot of big people that were involved and it so kind of grew huh it, it grew beyond what i ever intended so i think people took the movie more seriously than than i ever intended on you know making it mm. And so, and again, like, it was like, that was kind of my, my, my film school and it got put out, you know, for the world to see. So it was like, that was the thing that I cut my teeth on. Mm. Um, you know, so I don't know, like, I don't even, I don't even think that, you know, like, like people ask me all the time about a sequel and I just don't have much interest in, in going back there, you know, like doing something with, with, again, the, 
the female gang, like that, that would be fun. The prequel, like I feel like, obviously no spoilers, but they, they all die, regard. so there's no sequel. Yeah, they exactly. But to see like, didn't die. well, now, now here's the thing: we don't know that they all died. Yeah, we That's know that true. they all got they got hurt really bad. Mm-hmm. But You're in right. terms of like who survived that, who didn't, we don't know because we never go back to see. We um, never go back to see. We don't even really see. It was shot in an interesting way, that fight, where we actually don't see a lot of the violence. It's kind of implied violence. Some of it's exactly. in your and that, that, again, is boating, you know, that that's leaning into, A, just the, the limitations that we have on, you know, the, the schedule that we have to keep. But then also that is kind of getting into, you know, also getting into more of that sort of grindhouse, mm-hmm. you know, kind of vibe. Pretty, um, like, yeah, again, pretty, more, pretty violent violence, essentially pretty violent violence a lot of it's implied a lot of it is you know over the top you know but it's it's supposed to be a little tongue-in-cheek and um but yeah i mean i guess to answer your question uh in a very long-winded way which yeah, i, I enjoy don't... more answers yeah. <laughs> i just yeah i don't i don't i don't know that it would get i don't know that i would want to make that movie now barry do you have a favorite moment from set that you can share with us i know there were many amazing things that happened Ooh, that was <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, does the rap party count? Yeah, what was the rap party like? Super Woo-hoo! super loose. Oh boy, I mean, we was we was down in New Orleans. So, I mean, <laughs> we and we had been working hard, and so when it was time to uh, howl at the moon, we did. It was a good time. Did most of the the big names were they able to stay and be there for the rap party? Uh, no, like, but, but here was the thing. This was the great thing. So basically we, we sort of took over, uh, a hotel in Slidell and, and we pretty much occupied the whole thing and our main guys like, uh, and, and this is to the credit of, of Clay Crawford. He basically was like the leader of the brothers. Like he was them. He would run like just rehearsals with them out behind the hotel in the little gazebo in the little grill area. And I'm not kidding you. If they'd fucked their lines up, they were doing push-ups. Like, I mean, he he worked those guys. Mm-hmm. And um Same. if me and David fuck something up on the podcast, he makes me do push-ups totally. That's <laughs> why I'm uh, it's so a very effective tool. It's a very it's yeah. very effective. Yeah. It's very effective. <laughs> um, but he he was like he was he was great about that. But now what the guys would also do is that they would grill out. They would be grilling out. So um, as the, the transpo vans would start taking people from set back to the hotel, they would just be like, like the, the, the leads of the movie <laughs> would be out there just grilling, just being like, hey, you know, come get you a plate. Like, come, come get some food. And it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if it were extras, if it was, you know, grips, like, you know, just whatever, just runners. Like, it didn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. it was, you know, like, hey, I come. And so we ended up having... And I didn't get to enjoy many of these because obviously my time was a little bit more spoken for and, and also didn't know how much I could sort of breathe during this process of being my first film. And since then, I've obviously I've learned and now I know kind of, you know, how much I can it can enjoy sort of the process and the journey versus how much I you know need to, you know, sort of separate myself from it. But like they would they would always have like we would always have like these epic sort of like anytime like somebody was like rapping and they were gone there would just be this epic sort of like parking lot party like Aww. i mean it's like days to confuse like we would always like party at the moon tower 
and uh and there would just be drinks and you know people would go on like ice cream runs and you know and, and just you know just uh, just food and it was you know when when family members would come down and visit you know it it was it was a really great atmosphere just in terms of like yeah like you know just bring them down like it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter who they are and like you know even like when when billy bob was there and uh and he took us out to to dinner one night uh at uh at this incredible place um and and there was like a big prom group that was you know in the same Aww. restaurant at the time and like they saw him and they were like you know kind of flipping out freaking out and he yeah took time to go over and and take pictures with every one of them but he wouldn't That's just take awesome. like the standard pictures he'd be like like you want to do something fun in this one they'd be like uh okay be like all right cool Aww. i'm gonna choke you and like you know and like you know he would just have fun like with god them. i would frame that photo a, so hot yeah. it would be blown up in my house way. i mean and <laughs> But I mean, that right there just speaks to to the people that we were able to assemble and the atmosphere that I was constantly trying to cultivate because I knew that like if I come in and, and I'm a romper stomper and I'm trying to, you know, and I'm trying to be bad and I let it, I'm letting my insecurities get the best of me and I'm letting that show that it's going to create a terrible atmosphere for everyone. And I'm like, yeah. this is hard enough as it is. Like I need to make sure that we're having a good atmosphere that you know that I'm bringing a good attitude that I'm I'm bringing a, a, a spirit of appreciation you know for what we're doing you know again never forget those those tenets and those lessons that I was taught of you know just again be direct know what I want know how to get it know when I got it get out of there let's move on you know let's keep it moving but the atmosphere, uh, we, always, and, and yeah. we had a great atmosphere well the atmosphere comes from the top if the directors are shouting and stressed or you know the director and the producer the PAs are going to feel stressed because it basically trickles yeah. down. It's an it, it ecosystem. A thousand percent, a thousand so. percent. So I guess one the one the the most epic party that we had uh, in the parking lot was when all of the girls had wrapped. Like it was on a Friday, so it was the end of the week, and that party was fantastic because they were all flying <laughs> out like the next morning. So and like, so, let's get wasted. Yeah, well, we just were all having a very good time. I think like Sorinda Swan gave me her hat. Like it was just like she had this great fedora. I ended up with it somehow. Still got it. Like it was just like it was. It was just such a great atmosphere, and everyone had a, um, you know, it was just it was a fun. There was a lot of fun to be had, but it was always in like those moments. I looked out one time, and I was as stressed as I've ever been because it was toward the end of the day. And I looked outside and I noticed that like nobody that had already been wrapped for the day had gone back to base camp. Nobody was in their trailers. Everybody was still hanging on the set. And I think at one point they were even like playing like Red Rover or something. Like <laughs> oh my out God, in, that's out so cute. and I wanted to like, you know, stick my head out the window and just be like, hey, somebody do something. Like, <laughs> but as but you're just, just sitting, sweating. Yeah, like we were, yeah, I mean, we were yeah. running ourselves to death inside there. But at the same they time, they were having a great like, time. It was like summer camp. It really was and i was like this is this is awesome that this is what we're doing and then the armor was great it'd be like well you know we got it we got to test out the weapons like who wants to shoot some guns you know like <laughs> who wants to shoot a bazooka out here you know it was it was just that kind of um you know atmosphere and 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 i i don't take all the credit for that i mean it, it i i think was, you should take I a was, little credit for it i was protected and surrounded by by great people and i think that really does start with like bob title like he was That's the first awesome. one that was like i want to make this movie and uh and he was uh, you know he he did such a great job and again he's so chill like even when i mean the shit is 
all in the fan. He's still like, well, all right, I guess there's going to be some special features. Okay. <laughs> like, we're just going just gonna to roll with this. Like, he'd be like, Barry, say one of them Southern things you always say. And I'm just like, oh, man, now's not the time. You're like, um, sweet tea? I don't know. What we got yeah. going on? Sweet. And he, he's a big fan of my turn of phrase. So. Love that. I'm a big fan. I love the accents in this. To me, it's just <laughs> such a joy because, you know, I'm foreign and a lot I'm not going to lie to you a lot of American accents sound very similar to me and then you have this movie set in Alabama and the accents are just chef kisses I loved it (laughs) yeah I mean it was I mean it was it was a movie set in Alabama made by dudes from Alabama so it was like come on now y'all gonna have to get it right (laughs) have to get it right I think all the actors also felt that pressure they're like damn like the director even talks like this (laughs) like wow he's really in character yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's going all the way he's the genuine article (laughs) there it is David, did you have any more shots that you wanted to discuss? I know you're a big like. Uh, yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of interested. Um, so one, were you just the shootout scene with like the that Native American crew? Were you just chasing around actors with the camera? Whoo, that was that was part what we shot on the day, and a lot of that was just very minimal pickups that we had to get Uh, we were able because the way that it works with a lot of stunt performers is they're they're able to bounce from movies you know more more movies with frequency than even like you know uh camera talent so you know like and at the at the time that we were filming you know i mean think we were 10 movies deep in new orleans that summer i mean but we were also up against like 21 jump street abraham lincoln vampire hunter gi joe like i mean it was just these massive big action stunt movies and so, um, you know, I think we, but, but like when the guys would have like free weekends or whatever, like they would come back. And since we were shooting or we were, we were editing only like 10 miles from where we'd shot that scene, we were able to like, you know, get the location back for a few minutes and, you know, just get, you know, minimal gear, minimal crew and just get mm. quick little pickups, things like that. It was, uh, it, that, that particular section really sort of got, you know, it was kind of piecemealed together. Um, you know, I but it, it was, I thought it was, it, it was tough. It, I mean, it, it definitely, was, it, was a challenge. it shows you like, <laughs> I, I, what I like about it is it really makes you feel like these people could be in the trees anywhere. Like there's not always like a straight mm. shot. It's like sort of moving around yeah. and it's that feeling that you yeah. would feel if you were actually looking around like, Oh my God, where is the person that's going to fucking shoot me in the face with an arrow? Where are they? Yeah. And with multiple things going on at once. Right. Yeah. Guns, had, someone was, showing had, up on a car. You had the brothers, you had Rob, you had, yeah. Just different people showing up, popping out of nowhere. So it's like, okay, this little battle's over here. This little battle's over. We got to yeah. run over there. Yeah, it was, was, and we wanted to give that sense of kind of like chaos. Like we, we did. always called that scene, like, you know, whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. is where yeah. where's it coming like where's it coming from where's it coming from next am i gonna anticipate correctly you know and so that was the spirit that we moved um you know in with that but man that was that was a grueling shoot um you know at that campground um how many but, days yeah. did you shoot there oh i think we had three days there i think uh, you it's know a I mean, lot that, out of 23 i know that was a big chunk of it but i mean there was there was a lot a to lot do there on. it may not have been three i know that one day we almost had a tornado like drop out of nowhere onto us while welcome we were filming to, there. welcome to louisiana I, use it that's exactly right let's yeah use it. Exactly. let's write it let's write it in guys this is and an assassin then, now this is an assassin <laughs> yeah. tornado the tornado yep. crew Oh, exactly. Like, oh, tornado's not character. He's character. got guns. He works for Carlos as well. Fuck, fuck. He's got the weather on his side. 
Carlos has sent the weather dominator. He's officially Cobra Commander now. Um, <laughs> Get Dorothy. So out here. <laughs> it was. Um, but yeah, that one was that one was really really tough. I mean, again, it, it, to 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 the credit of of also my my director of photography, David McFarland, he he was so great at always having the most efficient plan. And then he also would not be scared. We had, we had phenomenal like camera operators, but he would not hesitate to like, you know, pick up one of the rigs and just do it himself. Mm. And because he, you know, he was not going to let me miss my day because of, of him, like that you know, lighting. Vibes. Like that was the whole thing. And, and we've done so many projects now since then that we have this, I, I don't even have to use words to, tell him exactly what i want you know and i'm just like dave do you remember the thing when we the thing with the thing and he's just like got it and you know and like eight minutes later it's like he did the thing with the thing um so it, it was just you know but he again he knew that we were not in a position to succeed on this movie like we we really we knew we were like well we're the underdogs and um you know like we're we're really sort of almost being set up to just fuck this thing up so we might as well just do it <laughs> we must mm -hmm. just do it and do it the best we can and like all of my guys like we all had that attitude uh so for instance that campground that campground was nothing but grass and concrete and when i went to my production designer and was just like hey like you know like this thing needs to be like just scorched earth just dirt like it's it's the it's the climax of the film and for us to, you know, be this, this sort of sweat stain of a movie, it can't be in like plush grass, right. you know, everything's going to get lost. And he was just like, I do not have the budget. There's no, there's nothing left in the budget to, to bring in that much dirt. And, uh, and I went and told, you know, so Griffin, who had wrote the movie with me was, was also a producer on this movie. And I went and, and I was talking with him about it. And he was like, dude, he was like, just, he goes, I will handle it. He was just like, I know what we need. He's like, I know what you want. I will handle it. Next thing I know, I just see some local farmer that has a, 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 a like a front end loader just over there. They didn't bring in dirt. Instead, they just scraped all the grass off. He dug a hole, buried the grass, got my score shirt, and it cost like $200. That was going to be my guess, or that the weapons guy just came out with like a flamethrower. And I was just like, <laughs> I mean, but, but it, was, it was also made in that spirit of, it was the same thing when it was just like in the, uh, uh, you know, what ultimately was the house that the, uh, the female assassins were all in. Um, you know, it's just like I wanted like red walls, and it was in this house where they were like, "We we are not allowed to paint the walls red." I'm like, "Hey, we can change colors of walls other ways than paint. That's wrapping paper like on the walls." Oh like, God. you know, again, just little inexpensive tricks of the trade because it's mm -hmm. just like I knew, you know, how this thing was going to be edited. So I was like, "We're not going to spend, you know, we're not going to make a meal out of this. It's just, you know, we need this for, you know, this this just kind of wanter." And, uh, you know, and it, so it was just everybody. I feel like you brought the spirit together. of having to work with like short films and no budgets to a feature where you had like some percent. money, but you were yep. like, we're not going to. A gonna thousand percent. Like we never lost that spirit of, I'm just going to go until like, I can't go anymore. And, and then I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it again tomorrow. And I'm going to get up and do it again tomorrow. And we're going to make our day and we're going to do this. And we made i mean yeah we there wasn't a day that we didn't make um Hell but it was yeah. because of all of that like that was yeah. not just me that was you know that was me understanding uh and having i think a good sort of 
take on you know compromise on what we what we have to have versus what we can lose totally. um and then not being know, precious about it not being can't be like you need to know what you should be precious about but you also need to be very very well aware of what what is not precious yeah which i think we touched on earlier sort of with david asking the question you know is that typical for you to spend that time with those actors i mean there was not a bad performance in this film, which is not something I can say of every film I've ever seen. And I think part of that comes down to you taking the time and and it sounds like the main guy is taking the time to really build those relationships, to make it authentic, to really do honor to each of the characters. So I think that was it, it, Again, great. I mean, you know, it does, it, it takes a village and you know, teamwork makes the dream work. And it's it really is a sense of, you know, just trying to bring in the right people mm-hmm. and then put them in a position to to succeed and bring it home and you know just do it as humbly as possible and I mean that's the way I was raised and that's the way I try to go about you know conduct my business that's the way I still try to do it today um because the fact that we get to do this it's a gift you know it's the hardest gift and sometimes it feels like a curse but I mean it is a gift and I never try to lose you know sight of that you know every time that I'm on location every time that I'm on set I'm just like yep could be selling insurance right now yeah you know, but instead i get to be here yeah and um awesome. and so you know yeah it was, it was again great performers and i was put in a position my producers and the casting directors put me in a position to succeed and um and i feel like when i dug my heels in um it was for the right people because i believed in them and then they did not let me down when when we ended up casting them and then they ended up doing a great job hmm. Well, I feel like we could talk about this movie forever and ever because there's so many cool parts to it. David, did you have any last questions or thoughts? Uh, yeah, just one of the quotes that stuck out to me um, with this. Um, I think it was McQueen that said, you know, why did God make him like this? Talking, referring to Rob and uh, Brick, Clan's uh, character said, um, you know, don't ask why God made men like him, ask why God made men like us. So I thought, you know, that's <clears throat> like we started out, you, you see some of the, some of the dialogue and the way they're talking to people and you're like, holy shit, these, this, like this movie, like, what am I getting into? These guys are mm. pieces of shit. Right. But um, they, like to Barry's point, they had this journey um, physically and like spiritually a little bit and like this awakening. And it's like, yeah, man, like, we're kind of the wrong ones and they're they're looking at that and they're saying like no he's fine like that's rob right so i just thought that was a really good quote um and that kind of wrapped up the the journey and the process that they went through to this film i'm glad you brought up that quote i also that quote also stuck out to me you you wonder the crazy thing about that and I'm, i'm so glad that you guys bring that up that line actually i know after watching this movie you might not believe this but i am in fact you know a a good old god-fearing christian boy (laughs) and i was in church one sunday while we were um writing that movie and that line just came to me like out of nowhere like and i was thinking about these characters i was thinking about this but i was literally in church and i wrote that line down on a bulletin i still have that i wrote it down on a bulletin and, you know, and this was years before the movie ever got made, but it, it always stayed, you know, in the drafts. It always stayed in the drafts. And and you're, you're absolutely right, because it was that moment of realization of we have been living our lives so fucked up. We've been living our lives wrong and we are broken. And I think when when a person sort of realizes that in a moment that they were sort of leaning into, which is 
our, our big our big thumpers hurt, you know, probably going to die. We have uh, more guns than we do ammunition. Therefore, we're in a bad situation. We're about to die. Probably the, the, the something wicked that is coming this way is probably going to get here before we can get Rob out of here. So Rob's probably about to die. So we've kind of everything that we've done has led us to this moment. And and so don't wonder about why, you know, God allows sickness and, you know, and things to be wrong with people. You know, I think a bigger question is, why did he make us, you know, to where we're so fucked up? like that we've done this, you know, questioning your own mortality, questioning mm-hmm. your own sort of thing, you know, sort of in, in that moment is like you know, probably a little bit of his life has been flashing before his eyes, you know, as, as they were coming to that. But that is the one line that people uh, weekly will, will send me about stuff. I'll, I'll see it as, you know, as, uh, as like headliner, you know, I'll see that quote in like people's like, you know, bios, headline, you know, things like that. That's but, crazy. Uh, but you people really have really, people. it, it yeah. did. And I mean, and, and globally, like, you know, I get uh, somebody from Austria recently, you know, sent me uh, something about that line. And I, I just thought that that was such a, uh, that's so, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it, it sort of came out of, you know, thin air, <laughs> you know, the, well, the, the good Lord blessing me with it. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but <laughs> it was, it was just one of, like, yeah, it, it was, it, Barry, it came this to in me, movie. It, it came, it, you know, it was just one of those things that uh, no other lines from the film or any other thing I've ever worked on ever, you know, came to me in the middle of church <laughs> that yeah. I wrote down on a bullet and thought, oh, there's something, there's something there to that. And look but what that it one did. did. Yeah, it's impactful. And I think that it's just a hard line like hard as I'm like got like damn you know yeah. like it's gonna stick um and I think I it just... also br- it brings the whole film to kind of like a nice circular finish as well because like you said they they go on this physical journey and it's actually representing their internal journey and I think when you have these two because we sort of touched on it earlier like Bama people like the way Barry you were raised you guys don't really talk about feelings with your friends David I know you've said the same and then you have that's basically that character bearing his soul and really exposing his vulnerable parts and saying, you know, the guy's asking because he feels bad. He feel, he's gone through this journey. And the brother is like putting like basically a bow on it and being like, we've all learned something here. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that the, I'm David, I'm really glad you brought it up. I'm really glad that that is in the movie. Cause I think it really takes it from a shoot 'em up movie to like, Oh damn, these bros are, <laughs> having some feelings right now <laughs> yeah i mean and you know and and that's that was again that was kind of the point you know that was sort of the point is there's a difference in somebody's intention like i think if again i'm thinking looking you know weighing the measure of someone's heart you know i think does need to factor in you know we are always are so quick to just you know reach a verdict you know when people have made mistakes, which is, well, what, what is, what is their intention? Not to say that, that, you know, things should just be, you know, forgiven or swept under the rug. I think Lord knows we've done that for far too long is just turning, you know, blind eye to things. But at the same time, I think also in this particular movie, it was about, you know, realizing what someone's intentions are and the fact that their intentions through the course of the events of this film would be changed and it and you're right you guys are, are spot on it's within that moment again probably and probably at the version when when it was created that uh when that 
line was first written like they died like eight pages mm-hmm. later you know <laughs> and so they, they were right I mean you're right that was a bit of like this is kind of my confession you know this is the last probably time I'll ever have to you know say something to him we're probably about to go meet that god that you're asking about so when we do why don't mm-hmm. you know my question is going to be why why did you make us the way we are mm-hmm. like why couldn't we have been born into a different situation and mm-hmm. not turned out like this you know, so it, it's just, you know, it's a little bit of an existence. It hurts. Yeah. It gets me right in the chest. The, you know, it's in the feels. The, the biggest thing that killed me and like starting to talk about it, like makes me, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, not a soft guy, but Clans care, uh, Brick said that they didn't name him talking mm-hmm. about their brother that was handicapped. I was just like, what a fucking dirt bag of a father to not even give your kid a name because of that disability like that was that was like heart-wrenching i was like holy shit you know oh yeah this kind of the bad guy this is and and you and then so you 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 get a a a sense of what you know again we become products of our environment whatever Mm -hmm. that environment is Mm -hmm. so now imagine the product that comes from that environment imagine how hardened you have to be to see that to live through that to then be in foster care system like they kind of glaze over their origin story like i'm sure their lives were not easy no right and that's hard to that's hard to overcome Mm -hmm. when you're filled with that as a at a young age and you that's learned behavior and you're told to like hate this or feel and if you've never seen anything else because they've never left like alabama experienced that community other communities other lifestyles and it's kind of like that's that's a hard thing to get over so you know and and that was exactly it. I mean, and to create a balance of trying to, you know, do these things and to, to actually have the film say something, but to have it be a mix of, you know, like these guys grew up on, on Christmas vacation and, you know, and he's just, you know, he's quoting Chevy Chase lines and, you know, and he wants to, you know, go see the stadium for Friday Night Lights. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, so you see like where they, they get their influence from, like mm-hmm. where the, you know, what their heroes are, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, it's very basic stuff. You know, and those pieces, television. yeah, those pieces make the audience relate even if an audience is like holy shit they you throw up a wall when they say Mm -hmm. something off-putting or you know racist or something like that and then they do the friday night lights thing or like make a quote and they're like all right i'm back in i i'm like that right which Mm -hmm. we all are a little bit of like i can sit down with anybody and we're gonna find a little piece of common ground or some kind of interest exactly so yeah that's that's interesting I think yeah, it was it was a it was a delicate balance. Um, I think you nailed it, Barry, and I think it's really interesting <laughs> to talk about it too because you know it's very easy. You know, the the topic of the podcast, like David and I have had some deep conversations because it's very easy to look at something as a period of its time, and you know, ten years ago, this film very much fit into like a, a brotherhood of type films that were you know in this world. And it's very easy to be like, oh, it's just another one of those blah, blah, blahs, or it's like got racist things or it's got sexist things or whatever. But, you know, in talking to you and also having seen the film, there's nuances there that's really delving into like the human spirit and yeah, not to like be a total kiss ass, but I do think you did a really good job. Well, thank you, Paris. I mean, I, honestly, I mean, again, the, the film ended up being very polarizing. Like some people really saw mm. what you've been able to see with it. And they connected to it and, and it still resonates with people. And then other people just dismissed it. I mean, immediately because of really? a lot of those things. Yeah. And I mean, and that's fine. Like I said, it was, you know, it, it's, you know, it is what it is, but um, 
you know, I feel that it was a, it was a, a massive mountain to climb and I feel I climbed it as best that I could. Um, you know, and it's, it did, it opened up a lot of doors for a lot of opportunities for me. And I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. What we do at the end of, towards the end of every podcast is we give people a shout out from the film. Um, I never go first, so I'm going to go first because sometimes David tries to steal my people. <laughs> it's only happened one time, to be honest. Yeah. Um, okay. I actually have two today. I wanted to give a shout out to Lauren Ray Sullivan, who was the location manager, I guess. And, oh, sorry, the location assistant, pardon me, who went on to work as a location manager on Battleship and Green Lantern. And I also wanted to give a shout out to, speaking of base camp, Moira Glace or Glace. Um, she was the PA at base camp. And she also, I think, did a little bit of second unit assistant director stuff. That's what it said on IMDb anyway. Who knows how those titles change and fluctuate over time. Um, but she also worked on Winter Soldier and Django Unchained, which I really liked Django Unchained. One of my favorite movies. So oh, that is yes. Lauren and Moira. We see you and we appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. David, yeah. who do you have? Okay, I'm going with my girl Zoe Bell. All right. Mm. Because I just think she's amazing. And I, you know, I might have not necessarily always remembered her name, but I'm always like, she was in this, she was mm -hmm. in that. She, you know what I mean? And that movie she did, I think it was a grindhouse. Um that with uh, Kurt Russell. Yes. And yeah, she's definitely. on that windshield. And yep. she, I, I thought she crushed that. I think she's awesome. She's, yeah, I think she's awesome, gorgeous, and very talented. And and Zoe, shout out to you. You're, we you're see shout you. out to Zoe. Love Zoe. See Zoe. you and we appreciate yeah. you, Zoe. Yeah, Zoe's the best. Like she really is. Like she's one of my favorites. Barry, who are you going to do a shout out for? Who am I going to do a shout out for? Oh my God. Like, I just want to give love to, to everyone that had anything to do with this. Um, totally. You know, I've, I have made some great, you know, friends off of this, you know, and, and un, unexpected positions that, you know, I wouldn't, you know, uh, you know, not, not just people that were above the line, but like, you know, Grace, who was, you know, one of our drivers, like she's still a great friend, awesome. you know, just there's so many, just so many people, so many people that I work with. I want to give a shout out though to um to sean valla okay. who was my editor mm. uh sean was such a brother in arms like sean was brought on very like early on in the process obviously but he you know he had been in sam raimi's camp and like he had done you know i mean he was on all the spider-man movies and stuff like that and uh and he came on and he was not only such a phenomenal editor but he was just my guy. Like he would take care of me. He would be like, Hey man, like we're stressing, like, let's run to Walmart. Let's buy every copy of Step Brothers, watch <laughs> it. And then we'll give the rest of them out. Like, I mean, he was just like that dude. Like, I mean, he, you know, he, and he, and he has been ever since, you know, and, and he, he works a lot. So I've, he's, you know, I've, I've worked with other editors in, in recent years, but anytime that there's a chance, to pull Sean back in um, like he's always like my first call um, because he he's not he's not just a cutter he's a storyteller like I mean he cuts amazing but he is you know he he understands you know pace tone like he he just gets it but even beyond that like he was he he talked to me off so many roofs 
Mm-hmm. Like when I saw the first cut of the movie, I was like, all right, cool. I'm gonna go upstairs, kill myself real quick. <laughs> and, uh, and, and y'all be good. And he was like, you know, and he was just laughing. He was just like, all right. He was like, that's just the assembly. So I just wanted to show you everything. And I was like, Sean, uh, never show me everything again. Like, you know, like make, make some choices for me, please don't make me want to go kill myself. And, um, but no, Sean, Sean Valla, uh, gets my shout out. We see you and we appreciate you, Sean. Shout out to Sean. This is the part of the podcast. Well, f- sorry, there's one thing I should do first. Barry, how can people connect with you or see more of your stuff? How do they find you? Do you have a big social media presence? I don't know. That no, do. that, not really. I mean, I, I, I live in a tiny cabin out in the woods in Alabama. So like, I'm, I'm good to go. No, uh, yeah, it's just uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, Barry Battles. It's private, but, you know, send me a thing and I'll, I'll, I'll bring you into the bring you into <laughs> it's, a, it's a very exclusive go. circle. Yeah, I, I don't do a lot, but if you if you enjoy um you know uh hiking pictures and camping and a little bit of, Listen, <laughs> little bit of maybe, hollywood stuff then. maybe someone just wants to dm you and say like this quote you know re- resonated with me or i'm a young yeah. filmmaker i would love that yes yeah. uh, no it's just uh yeah i'm just at very battles love it um okay well then now i'm gonna say this is the part where we decide if this movie has aged like milk or not um <laughs> david would you like to kick us off yeah let's do it okay so i i don't think this movie aged like milk um i would say one part stuck out to me and barry i'd, I'd ask you to speak to this so um like i grew up calling people you know like the f word right mm-hmm. call it like a pansy right so i know mm-hmm. why the brothers are calling them that stuff me and my brothers used to call each other that right so mm-hmm. i just think with everything else and they're like the redemption that was shown you know like th- their character growth through this and how like I, like i said there were some of those really sweet moments with rob and stuff like that like do you think you could have just replaced that word with something else today um, and still had that same effect in those couple of scenes that, that it was used in. I mean, I, I do. I do. I want, I mean, because again, there's always that line of, again, these characters are so ignorant mm-hmm. that they, in the reality, when you meet people like that or you encounter people like that, they say far worse, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it is, it's despicable. And, and so there's a like, well, these guys are, they are those despicable type people. They say things, they, they say things without thinking. They say things that they don't even realize are rude or, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, would I, would I even remotely have anything to do with a script that had that? Like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You know, just because mm-hmm. I don't want that. If you, if you paid attention to the thing, you would realize that, that they learned that the stuff that they do in the beginning ain't cool anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they don't live, they don't do that life again. This, yeah. this was you also, know. I kept thinking about like when this was shot and stuff. And at the time, like 10 years ago, we were definitely not as politically correct. Like, you know, people still used the word gay to describe something bad. I think that was yeah. right in that era of when that was still, ex- you know, people, everybody was doing it. Well, oh, a, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's okay. so, it, but to answer your question, David, like, it, yes, I mean, obviously there's, you know, there, there's ways that you can supplement, you know, stuff mm-hmm. and still get the same point across. I think that's just where, you know, good writing sort of comes in. Yeah. Um, if, if the intention of the scene is to put certain things on display, you know, as long as there's authenticity and it's ringing true, then it's passable, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. but there's again we're just in a place now where we're far more you know we don't even want to do anything 
that someone may perceive as like, oh, well, that's cool. I'm going to say that. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like, well, if out of context, you know, you, you're not seeing the point that like yeah. they, they're the worst kind of people at this point in their story. And they changed. You know, so you have to see it as a whole, but it's just not even worth, you know, doing that. And, and so, no, like, I, yeah, I. So you, you know, think, like so that, David, one of those you think I, it didn't age like milk, but that part stuck out to you. That part stuck out to me. So we, we always have this conversation now. And like, as you get older and you see that someone's hurt by something, right. And then you watch something, then it mm-hmm. might stick out to you. So, but I still think in Paris, we've talked about this. If, if this movie, if this story is about a guy doing some guy stuff, there's not going to be a lot of women in it. Or if it's a story about a white family, there's not going to be too much diversity in it. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Right. This is storytelling. You're telling a story. So like when Barry's saying, these guys are awful people to start this movie out, you got to show that they're awful people. Right. Right. And you got to, they got to say some of these things. So that's the only thing that was like, you could change that word out and still yeah. have the same effect, but like him saying, you know, saying stuff about Rob because he does, he's ignorant to it. And then mm-hmm. he's, he's got a ton of love for Rob at the end. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I don't think this movie aids like milk. I really enjoyed this movie. And like you're saying, Barry, if people actually look at it and don't just throw it out just cause, you know, cause they're just getting upset just, just to start with to and they don't take with, it all the yeah. way through. You're not going to get the point of this movie and like some really good stuff that they show throughout this movie. Yeah. Barry, do you think that movie would age like milk? <laughs> That's it's next to impossible for me to say. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm it. I'm a little yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know. Like, I didn't make the movie for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I I haven't watched it in ten years, you know. So I you I should. I it's don't, on Amazon in America. Yeah. Very <laughs> easy to access. Like, I don't know because again, I have a whole different relationship totally. to the to the film. You know, totally. Like, and then you wrote it, and it lives from your head. So it's yeah. You know, how do you rate a daydream or a dream? You know, like yeah, that's, exactly it's from you. Know. Well, I'm going to say, I don't think it aged like milk. I'm glad we called out a couple of the things. I will say this because we love to make up stupid things. I will say that I feel like this was like a beat up milk cotton on the shelf. And you're like, is that milk off? And then you try it and you're like, no, it's actually delicious. That's <laughs> I my, love that. that's my I analogy. Love that. For it's it. that it's that it's that it's that bent up busted up carton that was in the back that nobody gave any love to everybody yeah, was like yeah. why is it like that Ooh. like why does it look all beat up and scuffed up like is it bad so then maybe you leave it on the shelf and then it's the lost one and then you're like fine oh, oh i you like guys, that you guys missed good. out this and then it's good. like oh this is the best it's then then it's like leprechaun milk and it's just delicious <laughs> leprechaun milk delicious <laughs> looks bad on the outside that's a whole but... other podcast how they yeah. get that leprechaun milk <laughs> get that leprechaun milk um well, Barry, thank you so, so much for joining us on the podcast. It's always a pleasure. Um, I hope that we'll stay behind afterwards and chat a little bit because it's always great to connect with friends. And thank you so much for making this movie and for allowing us to chat with you about it. Well, it's, thank uh, you so much for having me. Yeah. I, I love y'all's podcast. I love what y'all do. Uh, I love, I, no, seriously, I, I do. I, I'm a big fan of, of you know, how you guys really do look at the film. Like you don't, you know, you're not just putting it out there. You're not just, you know, pulling out some scenes of quoting, but you really are getting, I think, into, you know, what the filmmakers intended mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and, and looking at things and, and bringing, you know, good insight to it. So I appreciate you guys. Thank we you all have, so much for having thank me. You. Yeah, we have film fans. Awesome. That's yeah. what we always say. We're film fans first and foremost, you know, David's acting, I'm trying to write and produce. So it's- and Would you all- say you grow more? Like you learn more by talking- uh, 
talking to people like Barry through totally. this right? and looking at films like that. It's I just, honestly uh, think though it has ruined films for me. Like I can never just sit back and like fully enjoy it. I feel like I'm uh, always taking it. notes in my head. Yeah. Um, but then, you know what I noticed when watching Baytown again, I feel like, yeah, every movie that you watch, you need to like give it a day and then watch it again, just because the number of things you notice on the second time when you, it's almost like you can disconnect your brain from mm. trying to figure out the story and you can just enjoy it as it comes um which i like so yeah i think i've learned from it i think i've grown as a human i feel like i've had my udi brothers journey yeah (laughs) and it's still going so is the the udi brothers right they're still out there guys watch out (laughs) they got the new truck um well david you should probably check your fridge make sure you take out that milk gross milk is gross we have the weirdest ending of this we gotta refigure it out but thanks again make sure that milk is taken out or (laughs) make sure that leprechaun milk is tight (laughs) in the back still good check the Uh, carton to see if it's beat up see if if there's a pot of gold under it i don't know but i I can't do it we need like to record barry saying something really southern for the end or something you know (laughs) Ask tea is milk. No. <laughs> well, uh, how about uh, how about y'all come back now? You hear? There we go. Y'all come back now. You hear? Also, <laughs> yeah. my Aussie accent. Um, thanks, guys. Right, thanks so. for listening. Connect with us on social media. You know the handles. Um, that's it for now. Bye. See you.